what I've come to believe is that it's not that we don't want to feel the whole range of what we feel. I think we do because feelings are the essence of our charisma. Feelings are the essence of our sense of aliveness. So we, when, when we shut down on feeling, then we actually start to feel physically alive, but emotionally dead. Something I call soulful depression. My bias and belief, strongest belief, is we want to feel the whole range. We don't go there because we don't like the discomfort of the bodily sensations that help us know what we're feeling. Welcome back to The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high-performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors, parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. Hello, family, and welcome to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. Tis me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima, and welcome to this week's podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. This week, I have a real treat for you. I sat down with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. She is a clinical psychologist and she's practicing out of California. And we were talking about the idea of emotional resilience, how to develop confidence, how to speak up, how to be able to identify our feelings. And this is going to be a great episode for anybody who has ever felt anxious, fearful, depressed, and you start to feel these sensations in the body and you're not quite sure what to do with them. So we had a really juicy conversation in terms of what those feelings likely are, how we can process and move through them. We also touched on grief and how to work on processing and moving through our grief that is still baked into our bodies, our nervous system. And I appreciated this conversation so much because Joan talks about this idea of emotional resilience. And I liken this to... I really like to take a multi-pronged approach to care. And some of the offerings that I have to work with people right now is to develop cellular grit to be able and cellular resistance to be able to reset your metabolism, to be able to feel good in your body from manipulating your diet or your chemistry and the things that you're putting in your body that will manipulate and change your chemistry. So if you are interested in learning more about how you can develop more cellular grit, reset your metabolism, balance your hormones, and actually follow a a plan of eating that's sustainable over the long term. It's not just next week you're going to drop 4,000 pounds because you're going to eliminate everything from your diet. This is a practical way for you to eat over the long term. So you can go to estimadiet.com. That's E-S-T-I-M-A. 
D-I-E-T.com. And there's an 18-minute mini masterclass there for you, but it's all the good juicy bits on how to do it. So I'd love for you to check that out. And I wanted to also highlight someone who left just a beautiful review of the podcast. And I just want to let you know that if you feel like you are enjoying the content that I'm putting out there, please go and leave me a five-star rating or even better, a review because I read the reviews. It helps me understand how I am showing up for you, how I need to change if I do, and what other content you need. So you can go to Apple uh, Podcasts, you can go to Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave me a review. I do check and I read all of them. So. I wanted to read this one from Laughing Molly and she left this review from Apple Podcasts in the United States, my sister country. And she said, I feel like I'm sitting right there and I'm part of the conversation. I have implemented so many nuggets from these uh, great relatable conversations. I find myself continually checking for the next show. They can't come soon enough. It's incredibly inspiring. Well, thank you, Laughing Molly. I really appreciate that. And I truly receive that compliment. It means a lot to me because I... You may know, this is my baby. I love this podcast. I've waited years to produce it. And I'm so happy that you're finding it valuable. So... On to the show with Joan. So we've talked about eight unpleasant feelings. So we talk about which eight those are. We talk about something called the Rosenberg Reset, which is Dr. Rosenberg's framework for being able to ride the wave, as she says, of unpleasant feelings, what anxiety and depression really are, how to stay congruent with your true authentic self, why speaking up is important, why confidence is important and why what we think about confidence is not actually correct and how we can actually develop our you know if you're a parent and you have a child how we can develop the frustration tolerance of our children so that they are not just throwing down the gauntlet every time they don't get what they want because they're used to getting whatever they want so i hope that you enjoy this podcast i thought that it was such a juicy conversation and it will be useful for anybody who is working on emotional mastery, including yours truly. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Dr. Joan Rosenberg, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. I am thrilled to be with you, Stephanie. So I'm super excited about what may unfold. Awesome. And we, well, we are going to unfold. We're going to talk a lot about your book today, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. And essentially, we're going to be teaching people today your framework in terms of how to help people feel their feelings, right? People are, and we've had, I've had a lot of conversations with, uh, you know, Dr. Kelly Brogan and, you know, Dr. Shafali and Jennifer Kalari, who's a parenting expert around how we, disassociate from ourselves. So I'm really excited to get your perspective on this. And in in the book, one of the things that you uh, talk about or one of the premises that you talk about is this idea that having a great life is intimately connected to your ability to handle difficult emotions. Can you... Can you expand on that? Why do you think the ability to handle difficult emotions is so central to having a good life? 
Great question. The, the key here for me is that the, if we dismiss our unpleasant feelings or our di- difficult feelings, we're dismissing at least half of the information from a feeling standpoint that we, get, that we gather in. And I think, the, I think of unpleasant feelings as a source of information. And unpleasant feelings exist, existed and still exist for protective purposes. So if we dismiss that, and I'll talk about the positive end of it, but if we dismiss them from the unpleasant side of it, the difficult side of it, then we're actually uh, checking out, moving away from the very thing that's designed to protect us. So that's actually not very helpful for us. Right. And I noticed, you know, as the official uh, word police uh, person of this podcast, that you didn't use bad. You didn't use the word bad feeling. You used the right. word difficult, you used the word unpleasant. Yes. So why, I will use, yeah. yes. why do I do that? Yeah. So just for those, for those very reasons, because I don't, I, I don't see our unpleasant feelings as negative or bad because I know that they exist for our protective purposes. So I want to just honor them so they can be unpleasant, they can be uncomfortable, they can be unsettling, they can be unsomething, mm-hmm. but they're not bad or negative. And I would just as soon have people dismiss that language out just wholeheartedly out of their language because, it, they, again, they exist for protective purposes. Yeah. So, so then let's go to the positive side of it. So the, the, un, the, the most difficult and unpleasant part of it is that they exist to help protect us. So if I'm sad or I'm angry about something, it's going to say move away from that, right? Um, and, and that's why they exist. And, again, when we were out on the savannah with the lions and tigers, then it kept us alert and safe in a different way. But the, the good news part of unpleasant feelings is that when we allow ourselves to embrace them wholeheartedly or as best we can, then what ends up happening is that we're, we feel more liberated, liberated. We feel more free. And, and, I, and I get excited about unpleasant feelings because I know how liberating they are. The, and so what, what difference does it make? It actually, it helps us be more authentic in the world. Because if, I'm upset with you, and, and I try to play that down and not tell you that I'm actually not being authentic with myself, nor am I being authentic in my relationship with you. Or let's do the positive side of that. If I really have a wonderful time with you, and I want to spend more time than, uh, than being able to say, hey, I really like you, allows me to be more authentic. And our access to the whole range of our feelings allows us to be more authentic. The other real key part of this for me, Stephanie, is that the unpleasant feelings to me are the foundational element or the foundation of being confident and resilient. That's so, so juicy. If, if I love we that. Don't, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we don't allow ourselves to actually be able to handle those unpleasant feelings, then we're actually not going to be feel as confident or feel as emotionally strong. And, and so it's, it's really the basis of that. So for those reasons, I think they're super important. That's incredible. And I want to, I just want to put confidence and resilience, just, I want to just shelve them for a moment because I want to cool. do a deep dive on that with you. Yep. In this conversation, let's let's talk about the eight unpleasant feelings. So you've been we've been sort of in your book. You talk about these eight particular unpleasant feelings. Let's let's define them, and maybe you can provide, um, you know, maybe a one liner around each one. 
Oh, okay. That's going to be a little bit more challenging. But okay. <laughs> Let's just name them first. Let's name them first. <laughs> Let's start with them. So the, okay. the eight are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. So the first question is going to be like, why these eight? Yeah, why? And, it, and it, these eight, because they're the most common everyday spontaneous reactions to things not turning out the way we perceive we need mm-hmm. or the way we want. So it's the everydayness of them. It's because they're so common. And when we think about our feelings, so we're talking about feelings. And I just, I just want to make sure that the listener and I understand this. I want to understand what your definition of a feeling is and what is happening. So when we when we experience sadness or shame, uh, yes. helplessness, anger, you know all the all the feelings that you've just mentioned, what is happening when we experience that feeling? What is actually sure. happening in our mind? What's happening in our body? First, think of feelings as energy and motion. So emotion, energy, and motion. Or think that uh, that feelings are an indication of a vibrational state. But I want to go at it from the standpoint of neuroscience. And neuroscience, when again, one of the things that I was trying to do here was to try to understand what made it so difficult for people to experience unpleasant feelings. Mm -hmm. And so, in my work as a psychologist, as much as I saw thoughts get in the way, I saw unpleasant feelings get in the way even more for people. So it was like I had to, it's like I was working on solving that problem. What, what made it so difficult? And it's neuroscience that kind of answers the question. And so this is how I would have people then understand and look at feelings, right? Um, <clears throat> so when a feeling gets fired off in the body, when it gets triggered, what ends up happening is that there's a rush of biochemicals into, into our bloodstream that activate bodily sensations that then flush out of our bloodstream in a period of roughly 90 seconds. So so there were a couple key important important points to kind of tease out of this, probably three. One is that it's understanding that our body body and our mind, our body and brain are one kind of interconnected whole. Mm -hmm. So think of our brain and the spinal cord running down into the whole of our body at the central nervous system. As, as basically kind of bringing our body-mind together. And in essence, um, our, either our body is our brain or the brain is the body, right? So that if we cut off from all those feeling sensations that we get, like the, think of embarrassment, for instance. When you get embarrassed, most of us feel kind of, if redness and heat into our upper chest and into the neck and into the face, Now, others can see the redness, we feel the heat, and the heat is the bodily sensation, Mm -hmm. except Mm -hmm. it subsides in, again, roughly this short-lived 90-second period. And so one of the things that I would have people be aware of is that when they feel something, and this is pleasant or unpleasant feelings, there's this rush of biochemicals, right? So feelings, if we think about it, feelings are short-lived bodily sensations. 
They're short-lived bodily, bodily sensations. sensations. That is so great. And then do we all experience it the same way? Like when you say, for example, when you say embarrassment, right. my thinking was, well, you know, there's kind of flexion, you know, in the thoracic, right. like you're kind of slumped right. over, but right. that also feels like sadness, you know, that's anger. That could be shame too. That could be shame. So do we experience it in the same way? Are there patterns that you've been able to tease out with clients well, or patients? Right. I, I would say they're broad patterns. I would, it's unique to every one of us. For instance, uh, there's one client that I work with when she gets angry, she feels heat at the back of her neck. Mm. I have another client when she gets angry, she has in her forearms, she has heat in her forearms. And that's how I know, she knows she's getting angry. Uh, you know, other people might clench their jaw. Other people get fuzzy in the head. Mm-hmm. So, so the truth of the matter is, we each experience each of the uh, each feeling state differently. So, yeah, okay. so how you feel embarrassment, it might be similar to mine, but there's likely to be differences too, or the intensity is going to be different, or something like that. So, there can be it, it, when you start the point at which you start to feel it, the intensity with which you feel it, the quickness with which you resolve it. All of those things may be different, right? Mm-hmm. And and so it, it's a different and a unique experience for each one of us, and and those who are intuitive, uh, or you know the people we call empaths, have to learn how to differentiate what they're absorbing from other people and be able to distinguish what's theirs from someone else's. Right. So so there's even more variation when we get to people who are who are highly sensitive, and the but broadly speaking, think of unpleasant feelings as being more constrictive. So they're tighter, they're heavier, um, and they, it's more of kind of a pulled in feeling and probably mm-hmm. more, uh, more located to specific areas in the body. And for someone who is feeling pleasant feelings, pleasant feelings tend to feel lighter. They tend to be more, expen- more expansive, more whole body, more warm, as opposed to cold that might be more associated with the the unpleasant feelings. So there, we're going to make some, I can make some broad generalizations, but it's going to be different for different people. But it's individual. Okay. Yeah. And because the challenge is that sometimes when I, there's an how, what, where exercise that I do in the book. And I'm asking people literally to go through the, the, particularly the unpleasant feelings, the eight that I talk about. Mm-hmm. And I ask them to look or to notice how, what, and where they experience in their body. And sometimes when people do that, they say they feel everything in the same spot. So that what I what I can suggest is those people who don't have well differentiated uh, experiences in terms of where they locate the different feelings probably have practiced at shutting down to some degree what they're feeling because yeah, of this. that's really interesting because I when I was going through your material one of the things that I was thinking about was I wonder if this is going to be and we're going to talk about the Rosenberg reset and I want to talk about sure. the framework we'll get there that's fun. but it was but it was interesting I was like I wonder if this is going to be harder for guys or um, you know people who've had to dissociate from themselves they, they've had to deny their own realities maybe as children or, or yeah. otherwise yep. Yep. and um, yeah, and you've and you've you you can is that true? Is that is yeah? That no, I, I would have yes, men yes. So men have been socialized to disconnect from their feelings, but the way you disconnect from your feelings is actually to, to disconnect from your body. Yeah, it's to reduce yeah. your awareness of what's actually happening in your body. Mm-hmm. So for someone who says, "Well, I want to feel my feelings more," 
since the great majority of us, not all of us, but the great majority of us tend to experience or come to know what we're feeling emotionally through bodily sensation, then the most important thing you can do is to start to increase your awareness of what's happening in your body and then start to link up the reaction that you're having in the moment that feels emotional with how, what, and where you're experiencing it in your body. And that's a way for, for a, guy, a guy in particular, but also for women who have kind of uh, disconnected or distracted from their emotional state. So all of my high-achieving type A personality females who are clients, are they behave just like what you're... Desc- I know you're describing a male, but it's the same way. It's like, I don't know. You know, yeah. I just, I feel angry. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so what ends up happening then is that there's, and you can think about uh, the standpoint of, of using what I would call right hemispheric uh, mm. interventions mm. as opposed to left hemispheric interventions. So, so right hemisphere, you want someone to, to if, if somebody's very highly reactive, then you want to start them to engage them in reason. Right. And so it's having them do things that are more left hemispheric, like to pause and to think or to pause and reflect where somebody who is uh, shut down from feeling. You want them to start to notice bodily reactions Mm -hmm. to help them access feeling more directly Mm -hmm. so that they can actually build that body map of feelings more effectively. You know, and this is the work, man. This is like the life's work that we all have to do. And it's it's one of the things that I've noticed both for myself, uh, for the women that I that I coach and I work with is it is so hard for us to just sink into our body. And whether it's, you know, you've we've been talking about this in the context of unpleasant feelings. Right. I'm reading a book now. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called The Pleasure Trap with Stella. What's her last name? Resnick, I think her Resnick. Okay, right. So the the book, the premise of the book is we can't actually feel good feelings either. Like as soon as a good feeling comes, we're like, oh my god, what is this thing? I can't. No, I don't know it. I just. Eh. So she she goes through these exercises where, you know, you open your mouth to breathe and then you make like an exhalation, like. Ah, like just uh-huh. even making a noise, which is going to sort of use the vocal cords as an entrainment um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, proxy. Why, why do you think, and we've been kind of circling around this a little bit, but why yes. do you think it is so hard for us if shutting down is the thing is, that's going to help us and actualize and have more success? Uh, and if we shut down, this is the thing that's going to cause us more suffering. Why do we do it? Oh well, that was my big question. So, so I, you know, <laughs> I, I had two big questions as I as I as I grew, grew up, and then as I evolved into my professional life. Mm. One was um, because I started out so shy and and sensitive. I, it, the first question was, how does someone develop confidence? Uh, and then, as I got into my professional life, it was really, as I said earlier, wanting to understand what made it so difficult for people to experience unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we have been circling that answer the whole time. And, and the reality is the answer to the second question about unpleasant feelings, actually, as I started, as we started, answer, helps answer that first question about confidence. But the, but the big why that you, that you just asked, Stephanie, is the shutting down piece. I, what I've come to believe is that it's not that we don't want to feel the whole range of what we feel. I think we do, because, because feelings are the essence of our charisma. Feelings are the essence of our sense of aliveness. So we, when, when we shut down on feeling, 
then we actually start to feel physically alive, but emotionally dead, right? Mm -hmm. There's a deadness or a depression inside, something I call soulful depression. But the, so my, my bias and belief, strongest belief is we want to feel the whole range. We don't go there because we don't like the discomfort of the bodily sensations that help us know what we're feeling. So the thing we're actually trying to distract from and disconnect from are the bodily sensations that actually help us know mm -hmm. the emotional state. And, and so my goal then was to help people understand that in order to be able to lean into the whole range of what we feel, again, pleasant or unpleasant, because people will shut down on pleasant ones too. Yes. Uh, but, yeah. but the ability, you know, many people are afraid to be vulnerable and say, hey, I like you or I love you, right? Or I want to spend more time with you. But that takes vulnerability. Vulnerability is one of the eight. And, and vulnerability can go both ways, pleasant or unpleasant. And, and so for me, it's, it, was, it was kind of making just that twist. It's not that we, again, not that we don't want to feel. We don't want to feel the bodily sensation that helps us know what we're feeling emotionally. Right. And so if I can get someone to understand that what they're trying to move away from are short-lived bodily sensations mm -hmm. and they get it, that it, that's the thing they're trying to move away, that, that they're it's like, no, 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 I don't want to go there. Then, then, and they say, all right, I will. Then the thing is that we're talking about bodily sensation waves. So I want people to surf the waves like they're surfing in the ocean or something parallel to that for them. Mm -hmm. And to understand, we're talking about something that's 90 seconds or less. So it's one or more bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings. One or more 90-second waves, up to 90 seconds. Up to 90 seconds. Yeah, feelings don't even, many feelings don't even last that long. And then do we get, is it, is it likely that another wave follows behind that? Is it how, what does it... So that, that will depend. And, and, the, and part of what it depends on is how much you think about the thing you just experienced. So feelings on their own don't last. The body needs to go back to its homeostatic state so that they, they, they're short-lived. They don't last. What makes them feel like they live or linger is that we keep on repeating the same thought or the same memory. So we activate that same kind of neural network and, and we feel the same thing all over again. Right. So, so that's actually really interesting. That was actually one of my questions, you know, when we were talking about this idea that riding the wave for 90 seconds, and there may be another 90 second wave, but some people will say, listen, I've been bitter and angry and resentful for 10 years. Right. <laughs> and right. it's just gotten worse over time, right? Right. right. Um, so, so, how, so how does that one work? So let me, let me, I would like to parse that one in two different directions in terms of this anger and bitterness, or the bitterness and resentful piece. I think of any word that smacks of bitterness and resentful as actually disguised grief. As disguised grief. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. So, so I think if, I, if you were to parse out a, uh, bitterness, resentfulness, grudges, pessimism, cynicism, which I can talk both the pessimism I, I can talk about separately, uh, um, all, all those kinds of words. Mm -hmm. What's underneath are, are feelings of sadness, helplessness, anger, and frustration. Uh, sadness, helplessness, 
anger, and disappointment. So think about that for a second. Underneath resentment, underneath jealousy, underneath bitterness, underneath grudges, underneath pessimism, are feelings of sadness, helplessness, anger, or disappointment. So these are coming back to those eight unpleasant feelings. Really, those are the core. Those are the yeah. core. For me, they're the core. The, for me, they're the core. Yeah. 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 So what would be some clues? So if someone says resentful, that's going to be sort of a signal. That's like a smoke. In fact, I call them grief signal words. Okay. So a grief signal word. What are, what are some clues, maybe some other signal words, or maybe some clues into someone's behavior, their um, predispositions, their belief system? What are some things that might clue you in that someone has unprocessed grief either from you know, their past or, you know, maybe they've just lost, maybe they, maybe they're still processing uh, or didn't have the tools or the frameworks to be able to process it. How, how do you Well, know? well there, uh, the, uh, there's probably an endless list there. So for me, one of the things I listen for are grief signal words. Mm-hmm. So I named five. I mean, there's, I, my book is right in front of me. I can grab and, and look at the other 14 or, or 10 or 11 that are in there. Um, but the, uh, so like I said, cynicism, pessimism, Jealousy, um, uh, uh, resentment, uh, gr- holding grudges, long-standing anger, long-standing hurt that's not resolved, um, a, a repetition of the same memory over and over. Uh, b- because for me, the the fact that there's repeating memories or someone's not let go of a memory is an indication that it's not ever met some some measure of resolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and, I, and I, I talk about that in the book. I think there are ways to achieve that. Um, it, it, even the quality of lingering feelings, so which we started down the path of, uh, yeah. that that just that, that is also a signal to me. So there's there's countless different signals. Uh, are being somebody that's highly reactive, uh, um, as opposed to being responsive in difficult situations, that reactivity is usually ground in the past. So what are some ways that we can begin, if you are someone who's listening and you're like, yeah, I have some stuff that I'm still marinating on from 10 years ago, or yep. I have unprocessed, unex- unexperienced uh, grief from my past or you know, showing up in the present, right. what are some ways that we can begin to unwind? Because that stuff gets really, ba- that stuff gets baked into our nervous system, right? Like we, you know, therapy, I think is a wonderful tool. I think, you know, the more that I have sort of gone on my own personal development journey and, you know, removing the stigma around asking for help because we all need it is even, you know, the, everyone needs help. Um, We all need to be coached. We all need um, leaders who are further along in the path than we are. Um, How do we begin to unwind? I look at it as, as neural tension um, because I, you know, just from my work, it, it lives in the nervous system, the musculoskeletal system. How do we begin to unwind that in the body? Well, your, your suggestion of actually seeking someone else that can help guide you is a crucial one. Um, you can do a lot of self-work. Uh, so there's, there's lots of great books out there to help you kind of unwind it. But I do think talking makes a big difference because I, many times when we begin to not speak out what we're experiencing, uh, and there's something super important about the voice, uh, we actually come to know ourselves better. I think that we think that we know ourselves and then we speak. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think that as we speak, we come to know ourselves better. Mm. So, so it's not just the journaling process. It's not just the self-help 
reading process is actually engaging in conversation. Not only that, and, and through that conversation, not only do we get more well-connected to ourselves, we get more well-connected to others in the process. So we're not, we're not designed to be alone. Uh, we're, we're actually designed for the give and take you talked about. So we're designed to, to give and we're also designed to receive. And for me, asking for help that you referenced is a key part of uh, one, key, one half the key in my mind to this sense of emotional strength. So that I think of asking for help and being, being willing to kind of lean into mm-hmm. the dependent side of our nature uh, allows us actually to uh, uh, develop emotional strength. So that that receiving of that, asking and receiving is super important. So beautifully said and so important for, I, I may have a bias, but I think the women that are listening, I am, and I am, I do this as well. And it is a conscious effort where I love to give. It makes me feel so good to help someone, but it, is so hard. It's so hard to ask when you need something. And I think that it's it's a it's a muscle. Like what you're and I want to start unpeeling the Rosenberg reset um, right. in terms of the frameworks. And this is right. when I when I was learning about it, it really was like, oh, this is just like a muscle. You know, you just gotta work it. You know, you sure. just gotta improve the the stamina, the endurance, the strength, the power, all the things that you think about when you're thinking of muscle hypertrophy. We yep. want to think about this in terms of emotional resilience, which we're yep, going to get into yep. in grid. So let's, let's talk about the first, so let's actually, un- let's talk about the Rosenberg reset. Let's talk about the framework. And I would like for you to maybe start off by explaining, like one of the things you talk about is this importance of labeling. So we've, we've identified the eight, yep. um, the eight emotions. Why is it important for us to know which one? So if for, for the person who's like, I just feel it always in my throat. Why is it important for them to say, okay, this time it's frustration or this time it's, it's, it's sadness. What, what is the importance of labeling and how does that help us if, I, if it does process the emotion? I do. I absolutely. I, and I, for me, this starts to get, land us in the conversation around anxiety too, but mm. I, I feel like we've got some open loops going, but we'll, I'll, find, I'll see if I can find ways to kind of close all the loops. The, I, I think it's super important to label and to, to be a little bit more accurate about what we're feeling because I think what ends up happening is that it, it actually calms your nervous system down more. And I have no proof of that. It's just, it's, so for me, it's, it, from, a, as a, from a clinical standpoint, it's anecdotal, uh, anecdotal observation. But when somebody names the feeling more accurately, I watch this kind of, whew, this kind of settling into oneself. I also think it's integrative. That, that if, I, if I just tell you that I'm anxious, then it's it's vague. It's it's up here someplace. It's floating and it's cloudy and and that's actually not what's really going on. So that if I can put a word to it, um, and very commonly it's the one of vulnerability that I I this notion I could be hurt. Then as soon as I say, oh yeah, it's I'm I feel vulnerable. Then all of a sudden now now it's manageable. Now I can work with it. Mm-hmm. So it it brings a greater sense of control a greater sense of calm. Uh, it, again, it, it, we settle into ourselves more. It's integrative. So I think there's just all sorts of things that being able to put a, a more accurate word to what we're experiencing makes a huge difference in how we function. 
And this is what you were saying. As you speak it, you get to know yourself as you're speaking exactly. the thing and identifying it. And it sort of comes back to this book that I'm reading. Um, you know, when you're able to use your vocal cords as a method of entrainment, as a method of calming yourself down, you know, you're saying, oh, I'm frustrated. Oh, that's, that's, that's me. That's, I'm frustrated right now. There's right. almost a little bit of, uh, and, we'll, and I'm sort of leading up to this um, and, and I'm priming us for a, com- a conversation around confidence because as you get to know yourself, you are, and your tolerance to these, uh, to these emotions, this is when we right. can start to do other things. But right. I want to first, let's talk about the Rosenberg reset. So okay. we've talked sure. about labeling. So let, let's right. start with step one. What is the first okay. step? Right. Okay. So the, the Rosenberg reset, again, but you've got to keep the, my two questions in mind. Right. My first question is, how does someone develop confidence? The second question is, what makes it so difficult for people to to deal with or handle unpleasant feelings or experience unpleasant feelings? Mm-hmm. So, so then I was always telling people intuitively, ride the waves, ride the waves, ride the waves. I didn't understand what was going on. So this is where all that neuroscience that we were talking about earlier came in. And, and I would notice these patterns of people dealing with the same feelings over and over and over, but they weren't really dealing with them. They were trying to run away from them. And so that became my list. So, so the Rosenberg Reset is really an effort to help people stay, stay connected to their experience, to do what I call knowing what they know, as opposed to trying not to know what they know. So that they, they're leaning into their, again, the, the emotional experience first. So the Rosenberg Reset is one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. So what's the one choice? It's to be aware, uh, to be as aware of and in touch with as much of your moment-to-moment experience as possible. And that's opposed to avoidance. So what does avoidance look like? Well, it looks like uh, shopping online. It looks like uh, screens and social media. Uh, too much TV, eating, uh, uh, for men it might be pornography or sex, uh, it could be steroids, could be any measure of alcohol or other kind of uh, drug abuse. And we can go on. The list goes on. Work. So, uh, right? In, yeah. fa- in fact, having feelings about having feelings is another way to distract. Having feelings, well, feelings that's, worth, that's worth a repeat. Having feelings. Having feelings mm. about having feelings is also another way to distract. Mm. So if I'm angry that I'm disappointed, then my Mm. anger is trying to back me away from my disappointment. Now that is juicy. That is is so interesting. Yeah. Because then you can just focus on the anger. You can focus on how angry you are. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Uh Yeah. uh Yeah. Oh, there's, there's so many elegant ways that we try to check out. Yeah. Uh, chaos is a way of checking out. Right? Just maintaining chaos. Mm-hmm. Or being busy. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Too busy. So, busy. Well, so right. busy. Yeah. I just, and I just, again, I think I, I identify at least 35 different ways, and I'm sure there are more than that. But it, I, it's a fairly comprehensive list. We but are so, so crafty, aren't we? He, we're so crafty. crafty. Wow. Uh, um, a ge- geographic moves are a way to distract. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, so I'll I'll I'll, th- I'll think I can just leave my problems here and I'll go over here. Right. Sometimes so. I I will share something. Sometimes when I ha- when I feel like I can't do de- like I have this fantasy that I'm just going to get on a plane, 
go to Paris and I'm never going to see anyone from my life again. Like I'm just going to, it's going to be me, a cappuccino walking up and down the Champs-Élysées and life is going to be grand. So that's like, that is one of my like, you know what? I need to freaking go to Paris. That's like the thought that goes in my head. That's so funny that you said that. So Paris, so so at least mental, Paris in your mind is your distraction. So Yeah. Uh, and anyway, so the, again, there's there's just countless ways for us to do that. But so, what do I want? I want people to choose into awareness. I do not want them to engage in avoidance. Yeah, right? don't think one about choice awareness. awareness. Mm-hmm. I've talked about the eight feelings, and again, for everybody's benefit, there's sadness, yes. shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. I've already explained why the eight, and then again, it's the the everydayness of them, and then the ninety seconds is this notion, again, the the key element here uh, around the 90 seconds piece, so one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds, the key thing to remember here is that that to experience and lean into unpleasant feelings in particular, because those tend to be the hardest for us, involves riding one or more short-lived bodily sensation waves. And, and so if you just keep in mind this idea of 90 seconds and that you're going to experience your feeling as a bodily sensation first, and that's, again, the thing that you want to get away from, then you can lean into it instead, stay present. And the beauty of it, Stephanie, is that that's when insights tend to come. Mm. I think we tend to get more insight into what's happening in our lives and information that we might need to use for making decisions for expressing ourselves or for taking some kind of action comes out of when we allow ourselves to actually process through the feeling. So it's super important to stay present to the feeling. So that's the reset. Um, and, and I will say as much as the book is, uh, the book title is centered on the, that part of the method, the 90 seconds part of the method. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that it's when you understand the elegance of, and the simplicity of how the eight feelings play in all aspects of our life, the real power is the eight feelings. Yeah. So. And is there ever, have you ever seen this clinically or uh, anecdotally where people are, is there ever a scenario where people will feel all of those things, all of those eight unpleasant feelings in uh, one 90 second way? Yeah, very occasionally. We don't, we tend to feel one or a few at a time. Mm-hmm. Like I can feel, I can feel angry and sad at the same time. Yeah, or, or angry and disappointed at the same time. Mm-hmm. I might feel angry and disappointed and also relieved, right? So I we so and which is a more positive or, or calming state. So so yeah, we can feel one or a few. It would be rare that somebody would feel all eight at once. Right. So it's or, or less common. So it's 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 more, much more infrequent. And what happens on the other side of the wave? So you have the awareness, you're staying present in your body from moment to moment. You've identified that maybe you're feeling sadness and frustration and disappointment. Yep. And you're staying present to the way that that feels in your body for 60 to 90 seconds. Right. And then it's over. Right. So the idea of one or more waves. Yeah. Yes. So I, I don't want people to just go, oh, it's just one. And it's just then, 90. Oh, that's it. Should I'm we sorry, end? <laughs> I said one or more. So, and, and the, so, the, so what do you do? You, the first thing you do is you breathe. You take deep, slower breaths. Uh, and and <laughs> I was just doing this with a, a client last week because he started crying. And, and the first thing I wanted him to do, I said, I said, keep breathing. 
don't swallow. And he grabs a cup of whatever he's got by his side and starts to drink. I said, you're swallowing. So, so, so understand that, the, again, we're elegant in the way we check out. So the three more subtle ways that people tend to check out are to stop breathing, to swallow, and to tense up their body. So I don't want you to do any of those things. Uh, so when you notice that something's coming on, you're having a reaction, then, then I want you to take a deep breath or a few deep breaths and stay present so that that wave can actually make its way through your body. Mm. So it's actually, you're continuing to breathe and be easy, if you will, or gentle with your body that actually allows the, the wave to move through you. Then what I would say, if you have the opportunity, pause, take a, take a moment. It doesn't take very long. Take a, a moment or a few moments, pause and reflect and go, all right, huh, what triggered this? What am I feeling? More specifically, um, use the eight if, if that's a great starting point for you. It covers most of what we feel anyway. The, the, so start with the eight. Uh, what am I feeling? What triggered it? Is there any, um, it, you know, is there anything I need to do with this? Uh, is there a pattern to it? Hmm. and and uh, is it linked with anything in the past? We, so we can even ask a few different questions that, that actually start to pull many things together, mm-hmm. and, and those don't take very long at all. And, and then it would be a matter of uh, the, the, the most important link becomes um, what, am, what am I feeling, what triggered it, and then what do I want to do with it? And then do with it again is do I need to make any decisions? Do I need to express this to anybody? And or do I want to express this to anybody? And then the third is, do I are there any, any actions I need to take because of? Those are great questions. That's like a forty minute journaling session for me. Awesome. <laughs> I would have to sit and go and write. Oh, okay. All right. Then yeah. it, okay. Uh, depending on the intensity of what you're feeling, you wouldn't yeah. have to do that for everything. Yes, so. I'm I'm Portuguese and Lebanese, so everything is intense. <laughs> Feels like <laughs> I don't I don't do anything half ass. It's always with my full ass. It's like all right, everything awesome. is intense. Okay. Um, let I wanna I wanna unpack a little bit your views on anxiety and depression because you have very distinct and this is sort of closing one of the you know earlier yeah, yes. loops. Uh, what we were talking about earlier. You look at anxiety very differently, and I want to. I want you to explain to the listener what anxiety in your fear and anxiety, in particular, fear, yeah, anxiety, yeah. and depression. Let's let's unpack those a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. I do, and I do have some different points of view around this. Um, I so again, my thing is people. I not only in the work that I do individually with people, I also train clinicians. Right. Mm-hmm. So my, I've, I've been a. a graduate psychology professor for decades. And my, the primary focus has been to train master's and doctoral students how to do psychotherapy. So I've got to teach them uh, ways to listen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, what I would notice is that when I was working with my own clients, they would say that they were anxious, for instance, or they were fearful. But it was like, fearful of what? number one, and anxious, what does that mean? Because I don't know what anxiety means to you. And, and then more feelings would unfold. So what I started to do was to understand that, that neither the word fear nor the word anxious really worked for me. And, and that I found that they were both overused and misused. So let's, let's start with fear. Um, mm-hmm. People talk about fear of public speaking or 
or other kinds of fears. And are there legitimate fears? Yes, there are. Uh, you know what? I'm not a big fan of tornadoes, but briefly, I don't live where there's a bunch of tornadoes anymore. Snakes and, over here. Okay, right. Yeah. So, so yeah. are there legitimate fears? Yes, but they tend to be less frequent, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we don't encounter them as much. But most people will use language that includes fear. And and right. if you look at the way psychology talks about fear, psycholog- psychologists describe fear as danger in the moment, right now, right? So it's the, it's the stress reaction. It's the fight-flight reaction. It's, it's there's a lion or tiger or somebody with a knife or a gun right mm-hmm. next to you. That's threatening the organism's survival. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Danger in the moment right now. So my thing is, if you are not in danger in the moment right now, stop using the word fear. Why? Because when, you, you, when we use certain w- words, they activate states within our body. Do I want you to be in a fearful state when you're not really fearful? No. Okay, mm. then let's drop the word. So the next most logical word that people are going to choose is the, is the one of anxiety. I feel anxious or uh, I, I have anxiety. Um, and <clears throat> same thing. Uh, so if I were to ask 10 people what feeling anxious meant to them, I would get 10 different answers. So it became, it was too vague. So then what would end up happening is the people would start to describe the eight feelings. So, so what I learned quickly was that anxiety was an umbrella word for one or more of the eight unpleasant feelings I've already identified. And the most common one was one of, a, of a vulnerability. So, you know, sometimes when I've gone to do new speaking engagements, uh, somebody would say, well, are you anxious? And I go, no, I'm feeling vulnerable. (laughs) Why? Because I didn't want to mess up, right? And what would mess up entail? It would be embarrassing myself, right? Another eight. Or or feeling disappointed, right? What's that? There's one of those eight. There's one of the eight. Exactly, exactly. So... Which I'll circle back to because there's a there's a an essential key in in this whole thing here. So that so that the first thing to ask yourself is okay. Not if I can't use fearful and I'm not using the word anxious or anxiety either. Then the next one for you to consider is: Do you feel vulnerable? Do you have the sense you could be hurt? And and so if it's vulnerability, great. Use the word vulnerability. You will find that your system kind of does that calming thing mm-hmm. once you identify more accurately it's it's vulnerability and now the the diffuse anxiety is gone and and you'll find that if you start using the correct word the anxiety just disappears just almost like that and mm-hmm. so the and if it's not that if it's not vulnerability then it's one or more of the other seven so, so one broad way to look at anxiety is that it is the umbrella or cover over the eight unpleasant feelings. Another way that I look at anxiety is that anxiety, and this is going to be a real kicker for some, anxiety is unexperienced and unexpressed feeling. So, which is super important because women will often ask questions as opposed to make statements about what they're feeling. And so they're actually often ask questions questions when they actually have statements to make. And when you're doing that, you're being incongruent and you're actually maintaining anxiety. You're not releasing it. 
Hmm. As an example. That's so powerful. And that's such an interesting, I have, I, I want to, so I'm going to take that now and I'm going to be observing myself for the next week. And I'm going to okay. send you a message and tell you. Yeah. So let me, let, can I, I'd lo- and I'd love, uh, I'd love to, to give somebody a way to work with this. If, mm-hmm. if I can just add, cause it's, I don't, Please. I haven't talked about this as much. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of, it'll be unique to our conversation. Um, in, I, talk, I think congruence is important. So I want to make a couple different comments here. Congruence is important. So what do I mean by congruence? There's a match. There's a match between our, uh, our, our actions matching our words and our words and, action, words and actions matching our thoughts and feelings, and also our words and actions matching our thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and values. So I, again, book is out. I have a student that read the book, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually uh, defer and cite her for this. But what she did, so think of, think of those six words lining up vertically on a page. So I have I have I have thoughts, feelings, words, actions, beliefs, values, and what she said to me is that when she gets anxious she goes looking for the mismatch. Oh, that's good. Between one of those, one or more of those six. One or more of those six. Mm. Mm. Because she knows, so that, so that if she's anxious, it could be that she's saying something that doesn't match her values or her beliefs. Or she might be anxious and she's feeling the thing, but she's not saying it. Or she's thinking and feeling it, but she's not taking an action that matches what she's thinking and feeling. Right? Yeah. So, so it's really a powerful way to gauge what's causing your anxiety. And again, it's not anxiety. It's something else. It's, it's, it's a, so in this case, it's, it's think of anxiety. It's a third way to think about anxiety then is that it's the bodily signal that you're being incongruent. And when we start to identify which of those six levels we are incongruent in and make the corrective action, is this when we start to begin to foster self-trust in ourselves and saying, you know what, I do. Again, like that muscle that we were talking about, that hypertrophy of that muscle, like, this yep. is how, this is who I am. And it's okay to be who I am. And it's okay to speak up when I see something being done that is against my values, against yeah, me, definitely. against my family. Definitely. Yeah. This is when the muscle builds. When, Let's you, when parse you take this the awareness. Me. Yeah. I'm sorry. When you take the awareness and you move the awareness into practice, then that's when the muscle builds. I love that. When you take the awareness and you move it into practice. Then the, then the muscle builds. Ah, I lo- I saw I say this all the. It's like when information becomes application. That's the gold. Yep. That's what you're. That's that's just genius. Yeah, that's when that's when we start to achieve mastery. Mm. Let's talk about confidence. I want to parse this all. Let's yes. wrap this up with a confidence bow. Okay. When, um, <laughs> I think that people have this expectation that, or when they look at people who they deem successful in, in whatever parameter or whatever success means, that they say, wow, look at that person. 
taking all those risks. Look at that person speaking their mind. Look at that person um, living their life authentically. Yes. They feel like they must have had the confidence in order to do the action. Can you explain why that is not correct? (laughs) Right, right. Uh, yeah, I talk. Yes, I can absolutely explain that. That uh, confidence doesn't come out of thin air. So let me start with the definition that that I use for confidence, and and it's the so I describe it as a deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face, or or whatever you pursue. The deep, so the deep sense means it's embodied, means it's practiced. It's gone through that muscle thing, right? Mm-hmm. So deep sense, it's actually, you can actually feel it in your body. Uh, it's deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome. So what do I mean by emotional outcome? Eight unpleasant feelings of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. So, so then how do we develop confidence? I've, I've outlined at least six ways. There's more, and there's a seventh I can talk about. Um, but so let me let me quickly run through um, it, the list. So the first one is that we're loved on as as infants and kids. Now all of us don't get that. Let's be let's be real about that. Um, and and what that does is create a great foundation. Is it absolutely crucial? At one level, I'm sure it is. From a biochemical and, and genetic way, yes, I'm sure that it is absolutely critical. And I know it's critical, but we all don't get it. So, and people who don't get it still become confident human beings. So, how does that work? So, let's we're gonna set that one aside. Second way to do it is to develop an area of mastery, a, a, a knowledge mastery. Not that it gets used for anything. So, <clears throat> a guy who can cite all the baseball statistics that go back 50 years or 75 years or whatever it is. Uh, that's uh, that's mastery of uh, an area of knowledge that's not getting used for anything else. So I'm going to set those two aside for, for the time being. Where I think it starts is the next one, which is to be able to experience and move through the eight unpleasant feelings. And and why? Because those eight unpleasant feelings are the most common emotional outcome or emotional reactions to things not turning out the way we need or want. So the the first foundational element for me is that we can experience and move through those eight unpleasant feelings. The second is speaking. And what's interesting to me about speaking is that uh, we have, again, we have this idea that I know myself and then I speak, or I'm confident and then I speak. And it's like, no, actually it works the other direction. It's actually that as you speak and through speaking, you gain confidence, not the other way around. So you actually have to do the speaking in order to do it. And I'm going to sneak in another, like, uh, to me, what seems so important, uh, it, uh, another important idea for, on my end is that we, most of us, and I did this, I'm guilty of this early in my career, of telling people, you're going to need to go speak up. And I had them going to speak up so that they could get what they wanted, right? No, that's actually not the way speaking works. When you, get, when you go to speak up to get what you want, you're actually getting the benefit. That's the benefit of speaking up. That's not the goal. It's the congruency, the speaking, the congruency the, with yourself. That it's you were the, and to grow you. Mm. It's the congruency within yourself, exactly, and to grow you. 
that's the reason you go speak up. So all the times you want to just play it down and go, I don't have to tell my husband that, I have to tell my partner that, no, I don't have to go talk to my boss about that or my coworker or my kids or my, and I'll just, I'll just like let it roll. No, you're not getting the benefit of your own growth. And that only happens when you speak. And I will tell you that if experiencing and moving through unpleasant feelings was not the foundation, then speaking up surely would be. Hmm. Crucial. And I think of speaking up as the super glue to confidence. Irrespective of the outcome. Doesn't matter what Irrespective of the outcome. Because if you don't get the outcome you want, then you have another opportunity to grow because now you have to deal with the eight unpleasant feelings. So it's a, it, the not getting what you want is a double opportunity for growth. That's how I look at it. That's great. Okay, so what? So deal with the unpleasant feelings. I love this. This is the effort, right? Sometimes I think there's so much turmoil comes from people saying, well, the effort didn't match the outcome. So why should I even do it? Why should I even try if I know that however hard I'm going to study, I just know that I'm going to get a whatever grade or, you know, however. But in this case, what I like you're saying is you're actually unhitching the effort and the outcome. The outcome is irrelevant. It is the effort that you put in because that's the thing that causes the hypertrophy, the growth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And, and another element of this, uh, Stephanie, has to do with our willingness to be vulnerable. So, so again, here's another key. So if speaking up grows you, and that's the reason I actually want you to do it, then understand that when we choose to be vulnerable, when we open ourselves to taking risks and, and our willingness to be hurt, What we're saying is I'm willing to tolerate the other seven feelings. So the key to handle vulnerability is to be open to experiencing the other seven feelings. Well, you have to be vulnerable in order to speak up. Mm -hmm. And I will also tell you that speaking up, difficulty speaking up is not a speaking issue. Difficulty speaking up is a difficulty with unpleasant feelings issue. Yes. It's basically, I don't want to handle yeah. the discomfort of my own emotional discomfort, and I don't want to handle simultaneously the discomfort of your emotional discomfort. Of someone else's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Same eight unpleasant feelings. But it goes both ways, because we're talking about whether it happens in situations where there's conflict or something difficult needs to be addressed. Or it has to do with vulnerability in a positive direction, as I just talked about earlier, which is to say, hey, I really like you. I enjoy your company. I would love to spend more time with you. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of vulnerability, too. So that, that vulnerability. And, and look, we don't, if you don't speak, you never know what opportunities you've missed. Right. So it's like I, I, I would go on a, uh, probably a soapbox launch for a long time on that one. So, so we've got experiencing and moving through unpleasant feelings. We have speaking up. The next one is taking action. Same thing. It's very similar to speaking. It's not that I'm confident and then I go take the risk or it's not that I'm confident and I go take the action. It's actually that I take the risk or I take the action. And through that because I have to deal with the uh, potential unpleasant outcome of that, then I, I grow and I develop confidence. It's like I just keep persevering. I just keep going. 
And then the, the sixth way, uh, so the, it's a, the, and there's four that are essential in my framework. Actually, there's five essential in my framework. The sixth that, that's outlining the book is accepting compliments. Ooh, let's talk about that. Okay, so if speaking up is the super glue to confidence, then accepting compliments is the top coat on the nail polish. <laughs> <laughs> or it's the, it's the varnish over stain. Yeah. It seals it in. Keeps the good stuff in. Yeah, seals it in. Yeah. So, so what's the deal with, I think, what's the deal with compliments? I believe compliments are a reflection of you back to you. So they're not coming out of the blue. They're just, or the yonder, or, or just off, you know, off the cuff, out of a vacuum. Someone is complimenting you because they had an experience of you or they had an experience with you. So it's from an engaged sense of you. So if you dismiss them, not only are you dismissing their reality of you, you're also dismissing your own reality because all they're doing is holding up a mirror and saying, see, look, or here. Look, look. how great you were. Look yes. How, yeah. Yes. yes. And I think that they are essential for updating our self-image. So if we don't take those compliments in, how many women talk about imposter syndrome? All of them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I will tell you that if I were to make a guess and I was to interview and we could go do a study on this, Stephanie, that, that two, at least two things would be happening. They wouldn't be telling the truth of what's going on for them. And they would not be accepting compliments. So telling the truth doesn't allow you to be congruent and develop that deep sense within yourself and, and give yourself the okay that, hey, I did that pretty well or whatever it might be. And dismissing the compliments only holds you in the position of the old view of yourself. So if you start to accept the compliments and they're pretty consistent in what you're being told, then it gives you a chance to go, oh, oh yeah, wait, I am, I am that. And now you get to update your self-image. And now imposter syndrome goes away. Oh, that's good. On the flip side, how... how so, uh, so many times I will... And I've done this. So I'm going to be super... Like someone will be like, oh, you're so great. I'll be like, meh. It's just my little... Meh, you know, it's my right. little thing. It's just nothing. You know, whatever. Um and so you'll dismiss it, as you're saying. You'll dismiss the other person's reality. You dismiss the and you and you negate the opportunity to update the schema that you're saying that you have about yourself. Yep. As a as the complementor. Yes. Well, let me ask you this first. How how do you give a compliment? And if you see someone, the complimentee, saying, "Oh, meh, it's nothing. It's just this," is there a way for you to say, "Hey"? You know, and, and I love what, how you described anxiety as this lack of congruency between those six levels. Is there a way for you, if you see someone doing that, to say, hey, you know what, though? That, that's actually, you know, I saw something beautiful in you and I just wanted you to 
like, can you receive that? Is there a way for you to, is there a little hole somewhere that can, that, that we can get that little compliment in? An open window. Yeah. yeah is there a little yeah. open crack somewhere yeah. that we can just take, even if you don't have to take the whole thing, is there yeah. something that you can accept in that statement? Yeah. Yeah. So yes. I, so one, I, I mean, again, it depends on what role I'm in with somebody and, and um, I'm pretty consistent across the board, but the, yes, I, so I would look at somebody and say, hey, you know, I, I, I hope that you can at least, at least take some measure of what I said in, mm. you know, and even if you don't do it now, go home and do, do it at home, right? Uh, so so give, at least give yourself some time to, to take it in, uh, right. And, right? So, and again, I'd be, I know the importance of it. I just think it makes a huge difference. And I think we don't talk about the importance of compliments enough. You know, because we get we get blustered and fooled by what looks like um, conceit or arrogance, and what looks like conceit or arrogance is actually insecurity. So, so it doesn't. You know, if I tell you that I did something well two or three times, that's probably that's probably the last time I have to tell you, or that I'm okay saying, you know what, I I do that well. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's that's good confidence. That's solid confidence. But if I have to tell you seventeen times, <clears throat> that is not confidence. That's, that's a need for external mean, validation. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's insecurity. Yeah, confidence doesn't look like conceit. Confidence does not look like arrogance. And just yeah. on the on the note of imposter syndrome, uh, I heard somebody say this to me mm-hmm. once, and I loved it because I, I mean, I just like any other women that you've dealt with, and I, I I deal with it as well. Like we were talking before the podcast started, and you gave me a beautiful compliment, um, which I did receive, and I did you take, it, and I didn't I didn't dismiss it. <laughs> no, you did um, not. <laughs> but starting the podcast was such a big deal for me. I'm like, oh no, everyone's gonna it's, like. There was this thought I had, like, who the hell am I? to start this, who the hell is going to want to listen to what I have to say? You know, you have these thoughts that run into your head. So I am like everyone else, you know, dealing with that old imposter syndrome, that old residue right. um, from past lives. So I love the idea of taking in compliments, but with imposter syndrome, someone said to me once, imposters don't have imposter syndrome. Oh, interesting. Which I really like because, you know, if you are someone who's scheming and you know, doing something that is, uh, you know, against your values and you know it, you're not going to be like, well, should I really be doing this? You know, am I really... They don't have it, right? It's, it's something that I think when we feel... And I think that this comes back to those eight unpleasant feelings. You know, we want to show, we want to develop that muscle to show ourselves and be authentic and engage with the world. Right. But we are so nervous about being rejected, about someone thinking a certain thing about us, and what if yeah, they yeah. change their opinion about me, and what if yeah. they see this in me and they don't like yes. it? You know, that's like we are consumed with these. Can I go um, through? Can I, can I respond to those three? Yes, please. Because you, you have a beautiful list there. So if you're worrying about what other people are thinking of you, that's one of those inelegant ways to distract from the experience of being, feeling vulnerable. Mm. So if, in, if you're into worry about what other people think of you, that's how you distract from feeling vulnerable. Right? Um, the other one you said is, who am I? Yeah. And, and I, I, in the book, I talk about what I call the am I, will I, can I, do I questions. 
And if I say, am I, or basically, who am I to, right, do this, then all that, all those questions are going to do is to foster doubt. That's, that's the only function they serve. Mm. So the way you work with that is you switch the order of the words. And it becomes, I am who is the one. Right? Right? So it's not, will I? It's, I will. It's not, do I? It's, I do. It's not, am I? It's, I am. And it's not, can I? It's, I can. And as soon as you change the order of the words, you're actually pushing, pushing yourself in a more confident direction. That's, that's genius. So thank you. That's um, great. So that's, but that makes a huge difference. So, so if you, and the who am I to do this is the experience of vulnerability. If you know that you can handle the emotional outcome of those seven other feelings, then you're fine being vulnerable and choosing into being vulnerable. And then as we are comfortable we build up this unpleasant feeling muscle. We are speaking up. We are congruent with our beliefs and values. The imposter syndrome falls by the wayside most of the time. Yep, um, and that's the anxiety. The anxiety, the fear, all the, you know, we are using the appropriate nomenclature to identify our feelings. All of those things, you know, I like to talk about the idea of cellular grit and cellular you know, res, uh, resilience in terms yes. of like metabolic parameters and muscles and frameworks for the mind and brain health and stuff. But that's where I, that's actually what I see. I see this resilient person who knows him or herself is attuned to and tuned into just like a guitar string. You know, you pluck the guitar string, you see all the other ones sort of vibrating on the same frequency. We are right. entrained with ourselves. Yes. Yeah. You know what you know as opposed to trying not to know what you know. It's beautiful. And what a gift to give if you're a parent too. What a gift to give your children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the most important thing a, a parent can do in this regard is to teach a child to stay present to the feelings and develop the muscle for disappointment and anger and sadness. Mm. Uh, be, because then they will develop frustration tolerance. And that actually went to another thing that you said. So I'm going to sneak this one in too, Stephanie. And that is you said, I'm rejected, and I don't use the word rejection. Mm. So when you worry about being rejected, what you're worried about is experiencing disappointment. Good. I like the reframes. That's good. So, so rejection is not rejection. I think we can be rejected as children. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can be rejected as adults. Mm. So we have a, an array of resources available to us in adulthood that we did not have as kids. And we have a Where frontal lobe now. <laughs> well, including the frontal lobe. Well, yeah. it could be financial, it could be social, it could be um, uh, reasoning. It could be a whole, uh, could be a whole array of, of possibilities, social. So uh, when we're kids, we don't have those same measure of resources or the same pool of resources. But as adults, we do. Mm -hmm. So when we get to adulthood, I tend not to use the words abandoned nor rejected because I think that those fit for kids. Um, But they don't, they don't fit for, they fit for kids under 20. They don't fit for kids over 20. Yes. So (laughs) 
So, yes. and the goal is to get the you know the forty year old that has the emotional maturity of an eight year old to yeah, have the chronological <laughs> age. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so yes. So then, I would want people to use words like uh, disappointment instead. That's great. This has been such a juicy. This has been such a good conversation. I think that the people who are listening. Uh, who have listened this far in. I mean, you are hardcore into you know self-development and upgrading um, yourself. If people want to find you, if they want to... We're going to put the book in the show notes for sure. I know um, there's a couple of TED Talks that you've done. Uh, one of them, I think, is like 1.2... Like There's millions of people that have watched your... Yeah, no, uh, it's, uh, it's getting closer to 1.2 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So where can people find you? Uh, so, uh, you know, can people work with you? Is there... Uh, tell us where we can find you online. Yes. Or um, yeah, a couple different things. Uh, the, thank you, Stephanie. The... the, uh, uh, the so people can work with me by, or yes, they can work with me, uh, and there'll be an online course coming out relative to the book uh, shortly. So sometime during the summer, my hope is that that will be out, but the, they can go to drjoanrosenberg.com. There's different downloads that they can get. There's, uh, they can, right now, they can get the PDF of my Easier Anxiety book free. Uh, I'm not sure how long that will continue to stay up, but it is now. They can also um, get a gift if they want to go to drjoanrosenberg.com backslash or forward slash gift. And, uh, and then they'll get some of the eight feelings and some other stuff I've talked about. The, uh, that's the most central way to find me and to communicate with me. The, uh, but there are TED Talks, as you mentioned. I'm on at least four social media platforms. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and there's a Love My Life uh, group on on Facebook, if people want to move to that, and then LinkedIn as well. Uh, and if you punch in my name, all sorts of stuff. Uh, very, very gratefully, all sorts of things will come up. I've been honored by people like you uh, inviting me into their studios, and and so I'm very, very grateful for what's what's available for people to to learn. Awesome, thank you. And I'll make sure that we put those links that you mentioned as well. Uh, where to find you and the uh, the gift in the show notes as well. What a great conversation, Joan. Thank you so much. Um, as I said before, uh, honored and humbled. Thank you so much, Stephanie. How good was that conversation? And I'm so curious to know what were some of the big aha moments that you had. For me, I can tell you that the big aha moment was the realization of all the elaborate and drawn out ways in which I distract myself from my own feelings. So things like being angry about being disappointed. I mean, how great was that? And all the other ways in which the human brain designs its life around not feeling unpleasant emotions. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. And if you have gotten this far in the podcast, let me just tell you that you are one of my special ones. Someone who sets out to achieve something and sees it all the way through to completion. I love, love people like you. So if you already haven't, I would love for you to rate and review the podcast. It helps other awesome people just like you find the podcast and gain some of the wisdom from my network and the conversations that we have. 
And if you haven't, I'd love to personally invite you to join our Facebook community. So you just have to look up Better Community on Facebook and it's free. It's just a way for me to... This is actually where we farm our Ask Me Anything questions. We get them all from this podcast, uh, this Facebook community. So... This is your chance to interact with me, majors in there as well. And it will also allow you to interact with all the awesome other podcast listeners as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only. And the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Asima, and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.